0: are you listening to the cry of the curse or discerning the call of the blessing? That's the question that we're going to deal with today. Greg Boyd, a pastor who I really admire and is, I've learned a lot from from a distance, when he was in high school, he was really struggling. He was struggling with the loss of his mother. He was delving into drugs. And in general, he, as a student, he was on what the students call the struggle bus. Did y'all like that? That was, that was pretty good, yeah. The struggle bus. Anyway, his academic future was looking pretty dim, uh, and it, it, things were just not looking all that great. He kept trying to medicate his pain through destructive coping mechanisms, and as he was flunking his English class, his English teacher had discernment. She could see something in Greg that he couldn't see in himself. And so one day she looked at him and says, Greg said to him, she said, Greg, you're a philosopher. And to give him a chance to pull up his grades and somehow pass his English class, she gave him the opportunity to do an independent study based on the works of Soren Kierkegaard. Now, I want to say this, if you're in 10th grade and you're reading Soren Kierkegaard, you get my respect. That's, yeah. that's difficult. Greg talks about how when he started this project, suddenly the synapses in his brain started firing off. Suddenly someone was speaking a language that made sense to him, that had been the heart cry within himself for so long. Greg not only went on to pass that English class, he went on to get a bachelor's of philosophy from the University of Minnesota, and then his master's from Yale, and then his PhD from Princeton. Not bad for a guy that was about to flunk out of high school. What happened? The teacher changed his life, but how did she do it? She discerned something about Greg, and then she gave him the blessing. And the blessing started to overturn the curse in his life. We've been talking through Genesis. And you'll notice that at the very beginning of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And he's blessing the earth. It's all about God's blessing. But then you get to Genesis 3, human humanity rebels against God, and what does it do? It pours out a curse over creation. And from Genesis 3 on in the biblical narrative, we're left with the question of who will overturn the curse and restore us to God's blessing. That's where we are. And that brings us to chapter 12. Friends, it's important that we learn... To bring our pains, our longings, our sufferings to God. Because when we learn to discern what God is saying in the midst of all of that, like Greg Boyd's teacher, we start to partner with God in overturning the curse and restoring the blessing. That's what we were made to do. So in Genesis 12, we are introduced to Abraham and Sarai. In the Mount Rushmore of God's people... Abraham and Sarah are among the elites. They are some of the greatest world changers. Uh, Regarding their entrance into the biblical narrative, uh, J.D. Levinson and Trumper Longman say that up to this point, God has been involved in damage control. That's what's been going on in the biblical narrative. God has been just doing damage control. But now, He is making a new beginning. So Abraham and Sarah are really kind of the new Adam and Eve. I want you to think of them in that way. As we read about Abram, he is the son of Terah and the husband of Sarai. The name Abram means exalted father. What's the problem for Abraham? He doesn't have any kids. It's hard to be an exalted father when you don't have any kids. But God. Come on, y'all. The best stories in the world are but God's stories. It was never going to happen. We had no way we were going to see. We couldn't see the way through, but God showed up. Those are the best stories, my friends. So God shows up and he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. That is a humongous sentence. And it's not just a humongous sentence for Abraham. It's a big deal for us. God is setting up Abraham and Sarah to carry his blessing into the world, but it's contingent upon their obedience. Come on. Let's break these things down. Let's break the the three elements down. Let's talk about what it meant for Abraham to leave his country. It would be to leave his creature comforts, right? To leave kind of how he had learned to do life. But it's more than that. It's it's leaving his financial backing, the way he's learned to to make an income in this world. He's leaving those things behind. Friends, did you notice that Terah was heading to the same place that Abraham is heading to? He was set out for Canaan, but he stops in Haran. We're given literally no details about why he did that, but we can suspect or assume that maybe he found something advantageous about settling down in Haran. Maybe it felt comfortable. Maybe it fit the cry of the curse for comfortable and secure living. But as Abraham is our father of faith, he is setting an example for all true Christians. All of us, hear me on this, look at your neighbor and go, we were made to leave our country. We were made to leave our country. Leaving your country means letting Jesus define normal, not the world around you. To be a Christian, it means that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, full stop. Friends, everything I do and say has to flow through the question of does this reflect God's values? Does it embrace both God's love and God's holiness? Come on. I've left my country, I've left trying to just be a good American. Because I know ultimately what will bless America the most is if I'm a really good citizen of the kingdom of God. What does it mean to leave your people? For Abraham, it meant leaving his security. In the ancient world, there were no hospitals, there were no uh, 401ks, there were no nursing homes. So guess what? When you got sick, you had your people. That's who you had. Um, When you became elderly, you had your people and that's it. And let me say this, Abraham is 75, Sarah is 65. They're not exactly elderly in that time, but they're not signing up for the young adults ministry. You know what I mean? So they're leaving their security behind. Friends, for us, leaving your people means trusting God for security and provision, And I want you to hear me on this, because this is a place where, as Americans, we really need to learn how to discern God's will well. As Americans, we cling to security by looking to things that might look wise on the outside, but is it really God's wisdom? Jesus' words to the rich young ruler, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Tell me, is there anybody in America that would take that as good financial advice? And friends, here's the thing. You may be saying, well, Chris, that was just his words to the rich young ruler. You're absolutely right. That was his words specifically to that man. But we all need the space in our hearts to be be able to hear God say whatever the hard word of obedience is that he wants to say. It doesn't have to look like the rich young ruler, but whatever his word is to me, I need to be able to say, Yes, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Friends, finally, Abraham is called to leave his father's household. Let me say this. In the ancient world, your identity came through your father's household. He was Abram, son of Terah. And so to leave his father's household really means to be kind of putting his identity at 75 years old. He's kind of putting his identity back in God's hands. But even deeper than that, it means leaving your father's household means leaving the aspects of your family behind that don't honor the Lord. Because here's the thing, in that world, if you were a son, you were expected to take care of the father's household, no matter what. But notice this about um, the biblical narrative, or something that you actually don't get to much later in the biblical narrative, is you find out that Terah is a moon worshiper. He doesn't worship the true God of Abraham. So notice what God doesn't say to him. He doesn't say, go to the land of Canaan and take your family with you. He says, go to the land of Canaan and leave your father's household behind. Can you imagine the false guilt that would have been placed on Abram? Abram, if you leave, your your father's estate is going to fall apart. Abram, if you leave, the business is going to fall apart. And probably the hardest, Abram, are you really just going to leave your mother here? Think about that. Friends, I hate to say it, but Abram's call to leave his father's household is our call to leave our father's household. Leaving your father's household means finding freedom in Christ from both destructive family patterns and false expectations. That is a big deal. Rich Velotis and Pete Scazzera say, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. And the task of discipleship is to get Jesus more and more in my bones, in the way I live my life. Are you listening to the cry of the curse or discerning the call of the blessing? So right out of the gate, if, like Abraham, we're going to participate in reversing the curse, by God's grace, we must leave our country, our people, our family's household. We must leave what is our culturally normal way of doing things. We also must leave our false securities the way we seek security by grasping rather than trusting. And we also must leave our family junk behind. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to leave the family junk behind. You remember last week, Carolyn told us that the people of Babel were trying to build a city and make a name for themselves. And they were trying to build a tower so that God would come down and serve them. Notice the language of verses 2 and 3. Abraham isn't trying to make a city for himself, but God is saying, I will make a great nation out of you. Abraham isn't trying to make a name for himself, but God says, I will make your name great. Everything that the people of uh, Babel were seeking out of their own strength, out of their own striving, God is promising by grace. That is the gospel. And you will be a blessing, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Through you and your line, I will overturn the curse. And what does 75-year-old Abraham do? Verse 4 says, Abraham went as the Lord told him. Friends, being agents of God's blessing means we have to deny ourselves. It sounds a whole lot like Jesus' words, If you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. But this is how discernment leads to faith and faith releases God's blessing. This is how we participate with God's call to overturn the curse and restore the blessing on the earth. Abraham has discerned that God is calling him and that God has a vision over his life that's far greater than he can conceive. Let me say this, God has a vision over all of our lives that is far greater than we can conceive. So now he's stepping out in faith. And God is pouring out his blessing through him. And then God says, To your offspring, I will give this land. And I, and notice that, let me say this notice what Abraham does. He hears that to his offspring, this land will be given. But notice what it doesn't say that Abraham does. It doesn't say, So Abraham took all his money and bought up a bunch of land. Matter of fact, what you find out later in the text is, Abraham never owns any land until his wife dies, and he winds up buying some land just so he can bury her well. Abraham is not trying to get the promise of God to manifest by his own strength. He's trusting God for it. He's doing God's will, not his own. He's leaving his country. He's building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, All of this surely sounds to me like Jesus' call to us to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, notice that Abraham isn't trying to take possession of the land. He is worshiping God so that God's presence takes possession of the land. Talk about a vision of the church. We worship God so that his presence extends in the world, so that his kingdom comes, his will is done. Friends, if we are willing to take the pilgrim's journey, that interior journey of faith that responds to the voice of God, that says no to my creature comforts, that says no to grasping for security in in and of myself, and, and even says no to the family dysfunction, so I can say yes to God. When we start doing that, we start seeing God's presence advance over the places that we tread. And that's what we long for. Friends, discernment leads to faith. And faith releases God's blessing. But here's the problem. The cry of fear leads to trying to control things I can't control. And trying to control things I can't control strengthens the curse. In verses 10 to 20... We see Abraham promote the curse, not God's blessing. Abraham has followed God, and God is supposed to be blessing him, but instead there is a great famine in the land. God is not meeting his expectations. Come on, somebody. How is he going to feed his flock? How is he going to feed his servants? How is he going to feed himself? It would seem that this would be a great time for Abraham to build another altar and call on the name of the Lord. But that's not what he does. Instead, Abraham comes up with a plan. (laughs) How many times do we make things worse when we come up with a plan rather than discerning God's will? I'm sure I'm the only one that struggles with that. Laura Curry in our life group the other night, she said, I've, I've been taught that when I feel fearful or overwhelmed, I pause and pray. I love that phrase, pause and pray. In the spiritual life, the bigger the problem, the longer we pause. We call it waiting on the Lord, and we pray, and we let prayer be the plan, and we discern God's voice. But instead of prayer being the plan, and you hear me using that on purpose Abraham comes up with this plan to go to Egypt and to tell the Egyptians, Hey, Sarah's really my sister. Let me say this. That is a really bad idea. It's a really bad idea. Out of fear, Abraham is trying to control things he can't control. First of all, notice what it does. God inflicts serious diseases on the Egyptians. And that's bad because here's the thing. Abram was supposed to be bringing the blessing to all nations. But scholar Terence Fretheim says Abraham brings a curse rather than a blessing upon the nations. Because he is not being who God has called him to be, he is not living into his call. And the opposite is happening from what God has for him. But in my opinion, what's even worse is what he does to his wife. Scholar Trimper Longman states, he says, By making Sarah act this way, he treats his wife like property. Indeed, he uses her like he is her pimp, hoping to benefit from her sexual favors. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Chris. I thought you told me that Abraham was one of the spiritual greats of all time. One of the great men of God. He absolutely is one of the great men of God. But, friends, he shows us what the great men and women of God are capable of when they're under the influence of fear rather than faith, when they're being guided by their fearful inclinations rather than the Spirit of God. We are all capable of doing horrendous uh, evil, really, in the world. But I have a question What if he had done confession B? Seriously, what if he had done Confession B? Here at Mosaic, we have a three steps forward card, and part of it is confession. And Confession B goes like this. You look at what was the hardest life event in the past few days. And then you look at the emotions you felt and the character defects that you used. And then you ask God to replace those things with his grace. What if Abraham had taken time to go, okay, this is a hard event. There's a famine in the land. And I have this incredibly beautiful bombshell of a 65-year-old wife. (laughs) What if he had dealt with his situation honestly before God? What if he had dealt with his feelings? What if he said, God, I am afraid and I'm overwhelmed? What if he had confessed, Lord, I'm dealing with self-centeredness. And I'm not just afraid, I'm living in fear. What if he had said, look, I'm trying to control things I can't control. Those are the inclinations within me. What if he had given those things over to God and stopped and just taken time to let that sit before the Lord for a minute? What if he had said, Lord, help me to focus on you rather than on myself right now. Please give me faith rather than this fear. And Lord, please help me to surrender control over to you rather than to try to control the situation. And what if he had just waited upon the Lord? So much pain could have been avoided for both the Egyptians and his wife if he had just taken time. Friends, when the cry of the curse shows up as the temptation to medicate through drugs or alcohol or binge-watching, whatever, it's pretty easy to spot. But when the cry of the curse shows up as a temptation to make a plan, it's much harder to see. Why? Because making a plan often presents itself as just being responsible. Right? And sometimes it is responsible. Sometimes you have prayed, you have sought God, He's begun to show you what He would have you do, and then you begin to make a plan based on what He has said or what He's impressed on you, and that is good kingdom responsibility. But sometimes me making a plan is me just operating out of fear. Sometimes me making a plan is me trying to be God rather than trust God. And my experience has been that plans born out of fear rather than faith almost always lead to pain for me and, frankly, pain for those I love. Sin is almost never just my problem. It becomes everybody's problem. It strengthens the curse. When, on the other hand, we pause and pray, when we take time to slow down, notice our feelings, notice the character defects, confess these things to God, make space for God to speak, then we step into discernment, and discernment leads to faith, and faith pours out the blessing. Let me say this, guys. You might want to do something for God, but if you haven't discerned His will first, that's probably more presumption than faith. Faith means I have to discern what the Lord is saying. Discernment starts with me getting honest with God about exactly what is going on spiritually and emotionally and then waiting upon Him to speak. Friends, at the cross, Jesus didn't just deal with sin. This is a big deal. Jesus just didn't deal with sin. He dealt with the curse. You'll remember in Genesis 3.15, we're told that God says to uh, the serpent, he says, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. Friends, at the cross... Jesus didn't just deal with sin, he dealt with the curse. At the cross, he is the seed of the woman who is bitten by the serpent. He is going to die, but in his death and in his resurrection, he is going to crush the headship of Satan. He's going to crush the authority of the enemy. So being our whole selves, bringing our whole selves to God, emotions, character defects, temptations to make plans, bringing all that to God... When we do that, we can exchange the curse for the blessing. And this is so important. Hear me on this, friends. We can live our lives completely forgiven by God, and yet there can be elements of the curse still intact in our lives. Do you hear that? That that is really, really important. We can live completely forgiven by God, yet there can be elements of the curse still intact in our lives. The cry of fear is not the call of God. The cry of my need to control things I can't control is not the call of God. The cry to medicate through Netflix or alcohol or a new relationship, that is not the call of God. That is the cry of the curse. Friends, the cry to pull back from relationships instead of leaning in and doing the hard work of conflict resolution, that cry is not the call of the Lord. J. R. R. Tolkien says that God, excuse me, that good and ill have not changed since yesteryear. It is a man's part to discern them as much in the golden wood as in his own house. Friends, when we confuse the cry of the curse for the call to the blessing, we wind up perpetuating the curse rather than overturning the curse with the blessing. So it's a big deal. But when we heed the call, the call that Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. When we heed that call, that call that beckons me to stop, and to wait upon the Lord, I begin to exchange the curse for the blessing. What is his by nature becomes mine by grace. That is is such a profound thing. Dwell on that. Meditate on that. What is Jesus's by nature becomes mine by grace. So I bring him my anxiety and my fear. I offer it to him. I begin to ask him for his peace, and his peace becomes my peace. I, did, I bring him my anger and, and, and my, my frustration over a thing. I confess it to him, and then I begin to ask him for his joy, and he begins to pour out his joy into my life. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, what is his by nature becomes mine by grace, and that's how the curse gets overturned in our lives. So are you listening to the cry of the curse or discerning the call of the blessing? Like Greg Boyd, are there ways that you're responding to the cry of pain and the longing of your heart by medication? Or are there places like Abraham where you're making a plan in response to your fears? A plan that you might even assume is from God, but it might just be a response to your own brokenness. Friends, As I've been meditating on this passage, I think we have to look through the three lenses that were presented to Abraham. The lens of your country, the lens of your people, and the lens of your father's household. For some of you, you still need to leave your country. Frankly, you're probably a little more American than Kingdom. And you will be tempted by the cry of the curse to try to love Jesus, but not truly surrender the things that are acceptable in this world, but not acceptable in the kingdom of God. Jesus says to you, you can't have two masters. You'll love the one and despise the other. Friends, the call of the blessing Ask me to evaluate the movies I watch, the things I do with my significant other, the choices I make with money, all in the light of Jesus as Lord. If I belong to Jesus, I am no longer my own. No, I have been bought with a price. And so, friends, it's, it's time to leave your country And let Jesus define normal. And if that's where you are, if if you're like, Chris, yeah, if I'm really honest, there's more America in me than there's kingdom. I encourage you to come down to the altar. Do business with God. Because here's the thing. His holiness can become my holiness by grace. Right? I don't have to fix myself. I don't have to beat myself up. I can confess where I truly am, and then His holiness becomes my holiness. For some of you guys, you may be tempted to try to um, stay with your people, stay in your comfort zone. Maybe you have been feeling for a while a a push towards a specific ministry, like stepping out in faith in, in a ministry, or maybe a vocational change that God is calling you to, but you've been like, Nah, God, I really like right here, Lord. I will follow you anywhere, Lord, as long as it's right here. Lord says it's time to leave the land of safety. It's time to put our trust in Jesus, to be able to step out in faith and see God work in and through our lives. Maybe he's been calling you to sacrificial giving, something that only makes sense if there is a God in heaven. Well, I just encourage you, rather than living in fear, take it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I want to trade my fear for your boldness. I want to trade my lack of faith for your faith. What is yours by nature? Let it become mine by grace. Finally, some of you, and I think this is true for a lot of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, we're tempted to stay in our Father's household. We're tempted to stay in dysfunctional relational patterns because it's all we've ever known. And we may be wanting to be more all-in for God, We may be wanting to be more committed to uh, our, our small group or more committed to spending time with the Lord, but frankly, we just don't feel like we have enough time. Let me say this, friends. If you're waiting on your dysfunctional family members to get it together before you take that step, you'll be waiting until Jesus returns. No, but when we release that to God, Lord... I'm scared of what my siblings will say. I'm scared of what my mom and dad will do. But I'm asking you to let me give you my fear that I might have your faith, your boldness, that I might have boundaries that look like the kingdom of God so that I might fully step into what God has for me. That's what we're after, folks. That's what we're after. Stand with me and let's pray. Friends, I just encourage you that the altar is open. Do business with God. Do business with God. Lord, we are so honored that what is yours by nature becomes ours by grace. And so Lord, I'm asking you by the power of your spirit to give each person in this room the next step a step that, that allows them to, to really give to you what is most true in their own hearts so that they can receive what is most true in your heart. God, we want to participate with you in overturning the curse and in pouring out the blessing. We just ask for that grace, God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.